0: Talk 99 ninety nine three wbt hour number three, the Pete Callender Show. I am the Pete of the show, and uh, thanks a lot for hanging out. I appreciate it. If you want to send an email, it's Pete at the Pete and that is Calliner with a K-A-L-I-N-E-R, and the uh, Twitter handle is at Pete Callender, where... Uh, uh, we do a little bit of uh, trolling and a lot of information dissemination, and uh, you know, on the weekends we do some uh, animal videos. Yeah, some cute animals. Because uh, that's really what it's all about. You have the, you know, the uh, all of the knowledge ever accumulated by man, you know, on a supercomputer in the palm of your hand. The best thing to use it for is to share cute cat videos. That's the purpose. Uh, the phone number is 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. Uh, we were talking early, uh, in the last hour about uh, Dr. Governor Stacey Abrams and her comments about the fetal heartbeat. So Shannon called in about this topic, and before I move on, I'll get Shannon on the program here. Hello, Shannon. Welcome to the show.
1: How are you? Hello.
0: Hello? All righty. Well, good talk. I appreciate it, Shannon. Um We're going to move on now. So, lifetime appointments to the U.S. Supreme Court, right? What if there was a term limit for Supreme Court judges? Would you support that? Term limits for Supreme Court judges. This is a proposal unveiled this week by conservative, progressive, and libertarian constitutional scholars. Okay? Okay. It comes from, uh, there's five of them. There are five proposed uh, constitutional amendments that were prepared for the National Constitution Center. And uh, none of these have been introduced formally, either through Congress uh, or, you know, a convention of states or anything like that. But they put this together, uh, and this is uh, a compromise between these three different groups of scholars, conservatives, progressives, and libertarians. So what would it do? If it were in place today, first off, if it already was in place, Associate Justice Clarence Thomas would be the first justice forced into retirement. He has served on the U.S. Supreme Court since 1991, right? So if you are on the court, you only get to serve for 18 years. Every justice is appointed to an 18 year term. And there are nine of them, and it locks in nine as the number of judges and they would stagger the terms. So what does this mean? Elon Werman of Arizona state university's law school representing conservatives said the proposed amendment is a compromise. He said, quote, we fix the number of Supreme court justices at nine. So no possibility of court packing or changing the number unless you do, you know, some sort of a constitutional amendment Later on. And I'll come back to that. Staggered 18-year terms. Ensure two. Supreme Court appointments. Every presidential term. Okay. So every president. In a four-year term. Gets to make two. That's what staggering these terms. These 18-year terms would do. Every president would get two. Per term. Which means. Obama would have had. Four. Right. And if you have somebody else who dies or whatever, there's another process for that. But every president would get two per term. So if you got two terms as president, you got four. You got four. Uh, He says, we know like clockwork, there are going to be two appointments. So it reduces the temperature of confirmation battles. Now, let me jump ahead here, because at the end of this article, and this is at uh, Carolina Journal, uh, Ilya Shapiro of the Manhattan Institute, who represents the libertarian scholars in this uh, effort, he said, well, let's not exaggerate like the impact that this is going to have on the the politi- uh, the politicization, right? He says this would make the court even more a part of presidential and Senate campaigns, but it would eliminate arbitrary or politically timed retirements, morbid health watches, over octogenarian justices, right? Like, oh, is so-and-so going to die because they're getting kind of old? Um, and it would also eliminate the appointments of 23-year-olds so they could serve for 80 years, right? Those sorts of things, uh, he says, detract from public confidence in the court as an institution. So so that's the, the conservative negotiators here. They were like, we want to make sure we don't pack the court we don't expand the number. So we that was what they wanted apparently was to keep the number at nine. I will I I I would respectfully submit, and I'm not a constitutional scholar or anything, but I think that's not actually the paramount concern here. I'll explain it in, in, in a bit. But the confirmations are automatic within three months of a nomination unless the Senate votes against the appointment. So what does that mean? means that Merrick Garland would have gotten a vote that the Senate can't just ignore it and if they ignore a nomination then they just become a Supreme Court judge so the Senate has to take a vote okay so that's what the conservative guy wanted okay that was his compromise position Caroline Frederickson of Georgetown Law School representing the progressives she supported a larger Supreme Court but she was willing to set that preference aside in order to secure a compromise containing term limits so that was what she obviously preferred right that was her priority was term limits and if every president gets two per term okay this means we're gonna have term limits and the presidents get to make their appointments and hey this is all work out okay here's the problem have you heard of the national popular vote bill have you heard of this The National Popular Vote Bill would guarantee the presidency to the candidate who receives the most popular votes in all 50 states and the District of Columbia. It's already been enacted by 15 states and Washington, D.C. It's passed 41 legislative chambers in 24 total states. For the proposal to become the law of the land, enough states would have to pass it and adopt it and those states would have to represent 270 electoral votes. Right? How it would work is on election day, whoever gets the popular vote, the states that are participating in this effort, they would say, you know what, we don't care how our people voted in the presidential contest. Like in North Carolina, right? Donald Trump had more votes, but Hillary or yeah, Hillary Clinton won. The more vote, she won the popular vote, more votes nationally in the election, right? But but Trump won the electoral college, which is what's actually up for grabs. It's not the popular vote that elects the president. So what North Carolina would do if we had this law in place, North Carolina would say, we know our citizens voted for Trump, but the majority voted for Biden, so or Hillary, or or in, you know, in the case of uh, what George W. Bush, same thing, right? We would say. Doesn't matter how our people voted. What only matters is the total popular vote. So we're going to make our electors cast the votes when they go to the uh, Congress, you know, the Electoral College vote. They They will be bound by the popular vote. And if you get enough states that do that, they would control the 270 Electoral College votes to do an end run around the Constitution and make the Electoral College obsolete. And why would you do that? Oh, for democracy. Yes, yes, I'm sure. That's what it's about. No, no. You do that, and then Democrats win the presidency in perpetuity. And then what does that mean for your term-limited, staggered term Supreme Court? Republicans never get another Supreme Court justice, ever. That's the practical implication here. So, no, I'm not on board. I'm not on board with it because I don't trust Democrats. I I do trust that they're going to try to get the national popular vote bill passed. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. All right, talking about this term limit idea, 18-year term limits staggered for the U.S. Supreme Court. It would set the number of justices at nine, but it also means that the president, every president, would get two picks, two appointments per four-year term. So, if you're a president for eight years, you would get four. And if Democrats are successful in getting through uh, these different states, the National Popular Vote bill, if if they're able to get that through, then um, you'll never have another Republican president, first off, and you'll never have another Republican on the Supreme Court. That's why I would, that's why I would oppose it because it seems like the fix is in. Well, is that my headset or not? I don't know. It sounds like there's an open channel someplace. Uh, let me go over here until so Kevin wants to weigh in on this. Hello, Kevin, welcome to the program. How are you? Very
1: good, and uh, I love your program. Thank you. Uh, love your candid point of view as well, but one thing I wanted to point out was, why don't they make this applicable to all public officials? Why don't we have term limits? If they want term limits that bad, Let's have term limits for public officials. Let's have term limits for uh, tenured professors because, you know, we can't have them thinking they're the same way all the time. Why don't we apply this across all uh, all the standards that liberals have for... Uh, Places where they'd like people to stay forever, like Nancy Pelosi and <laughs> Chuck Schumer.
0: But well, yeah, so we, yeah, like apply it to uh, not just uh, these judges, but all judges. You could apply it to all bureaucrats at all agencies, all government employees of any kind. Or yeah, ha- so if you go to work in the public sector, uh, let's say you get 20 years, and that's it, or 15 years, and that's it. And once your 15 years is up, you never get to work in the public sector again.
1: Yeah, it would be good, like an expiration date on bread. <laughs> that's
0: right. Yeah, that's, yeah. you could do it that way. I, I kind of like the way you're thinking there. Then maybe you would get more conservatives that go to work in, uh, in, uh, in colleges and stuff.
1: Absolutely, because uh, you wouldn't have this uh, you know, mindset where you're going to stay there forever and indoctrinate anyone
0: you touch. Now, the problem with this idea, though, is that it actually might create more people with stupid majors. Because there True. would be a churn going on. So you would end up with an over uh, representation of the 19th century feminist basket weaving majors uh, that would populate a lot of the colleges. That might be a downside. It's possible.
1: Yeah. True. But yeah. but uh, I do think that there are some people in government that should have a term limit.
0: Yeah. No, I, I agree. I, I go, So this is one of those things, this is one of those issues where I can see. Uh, the complexity of the issue because, on the one hand, I like the idea of term limits, like you just said, but on the other hand, um, I'm afraid that if you end up just term limiting all the politicians, you end up empowering bureaucrats, right? Because, they're, because they know they could just ride it out and wait for the next crop to come in and they get to stay. So that's my concern with the term limits. But I don't know.
1: I mean, I agree, but. They have an argument that tenured professors are there because you want to have free thought. You want to have consistent thought, right? Yeah. But then you turn around to the to the Supreme Court and you say, well, we don't want you in there because we don't want consistent thought.
0: Right. The idea is that you are protected from the political winds as they blow, right? So you, you, you can't be fired if you're engaging in research at the academic level, right? You're doing research or work that is controversial or something, and you're protected from that kind of blowback. That's the... Uh, That that ostensibly that's the reason for the tenure, yes. So, uh, and and it makes sense in the Supreme Court. It it does kind of make sense for the Supreme Court as well, yeah. And look, the people uh, who politicized the Supreme Court, you know, these were guys like Joe Biden, right? And the the borking of Robert Bork, they were the ones that kind of turned the court into what it is. And now they're like, oh, we should try to figure out a way to make it less political. But like, you're the ones who made it political, so. Uh, I, I don't know if I, I. I don't know if I trust him. I do like your idea, and as I always say, Kevin, no bad ideas under the cone of creativity. So uh, I appreciate I, I appreciate the uh, submission. Thanks, sir. Have a great weekend. Appreciate the call. You too, as well. All right, take care. Um, yeah, I, I, it's like the death penalty. I, I went back and forth on the death penalty. I'm open. It's like Section Two Thirty with the internet stuff. The, are you a publisher or not? I go back and forth on that. I do. I, I can see both sides of it. I, I hear compelling arguments on both sides. But what I know about this national popular vote bill, if this thing passes, it would guarantee the presidency to the candidate who receives the most popular votes in all 50 states, regardless of who wins at the state level. This has happened five times in American history. And what it does, it would, it would make the electoral college obsolete Which would mean the minority party or people with minority views or minorities, you know, racial, ethnic, whatever, would not have a chance of having their candidate ever elected. Which, of course, is the point. That's my concern. I got a tweet. It's a Pete tweet. It's a tweet from Keith. It's a Keith Pete tweet. Anyway, Keith says, uh, first, the U.S. Senate and U.S. House get term limits. Then we talk about the Supreme Court. I like it. I like it. Yeah, here's the problem. With the Supreme Court being put on term limits, and then every president gets to make two appointments, the problem is Democrats are also trying to undo the Electoral College, which helps protect minority representation. And if they are successful in doing this, this national popular vote bill, if they get that passed in enough states, then the uh, the only states that are going to matter are going to be the East Coast cities, West Coast cities. Right. They're the ones that will have their concerns and interests represented interests of the minority in the less populated areas. They get set aside. They're of little interest to future presidential candidates and the executive Uh, branch would then be beholden and accountable only to the majority, not the minority. And that's what the founders were trying to avoid. See, their intent was to ensure that the nation's highest executive, as well as the executive branch represented the interests of all Americans, regardless of political affiliation, a future president would need to appeal to those concerned about not just national issues, but also regional ones. The electoral college writes Andrew Morgan at the Federalist.com. The Electoral College provided a means to disperse and decentralize power. State electors are elected just before uh, and are unknown just uh, until prior to an election in order to prevent undue influence. That's the whole point. The founders framed it so because they wanted to prevent collusion and cabalist, like a cabal, their word, uh, behavior, cabalist behavior, They wanted to try to short-circuit violence and to thwart involvement by foreign powers. Minority voter interests will no longer matter at the national level if this uh, effort is successful. Only the whims of the majority. And the result will be precisely why Socrates opposed a democratic form of government. Once a majority is established, it finds a way to remain permanent. And the majority class will become oppressive to the minority class. There will be no means to overturn that majority, no matter how skewed the majority's views may be. That's the reason why we are not a democracy. Nor should you strive to be one. We're a constitutional republic. Yes, we democratically elect people, but we're not a democracy. Democracy is you know, three wolves and a lamb voting on dinner. All right, uh, we, we covered a bunch of stuff in the program today. We have some folks stay, uh, hanging on the line, so we'll get to them next here. This is Greg. Welcome to the show. Hello, Greg. Hey, Pete. Hey. How are you? I am well, sir. How are you?
2: Uh, good. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. Hey, Pete, I've, I've noticed that um, you're pretty good at analyzing the arguments of customers that call in, or callers that call in. Mm-hmm. So So I have an argument that I would like you to analyze. And it's this. The argument is that human life begins at conception. Okay. So I think we can agree that unpregnant women do not seek abortions. Correct. Okay. So when a woman has an abortion, something that is alive is made to die. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now this is where I might get a little shaky, so yeah, uh, but but since I am unaware of any instance in human history where a human female gave birth to a bird or a, uh, a puppy uh, or a daffodil, um, But we do know that if a pregnancy goes to term and the baby is delivered, it's a human baby. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I think a reasonable man might conclude that the life that is initially created when the sperm unites with the egg is human life.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that. I'm a reasonable man. <laughs> well, yeah, you are. Right. Well, but 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 what I believe because I'm pro-life, I like I I do believe that because I'm not a scientist and I don't know when life actually begins, so I just defer to the most reasonable belief on that and, and that would be I'm going to go I'm going to go benefit of the doubt. I'm going to be as, you know, protective of life as I can be and I'm going to say conception because I don't know. Now, if there's some I don't know some test or some scientific breakthrough. They figure out, hey, you know what? This we we found out what life is, and we've nailed it. This is when it starts, and it's a you know day whatever, or week whatever. If 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 yeah. if there's some sort of breakthrough technology or 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 uh, a conclusion along those lines, then maybe I reconsider. But right now, I mean, yeah, the the that that human life is going to be nothing other than a human life. So it, that's it, that, I mean that's yeah. that's my belief, but. I, but I can I am able to to go through and analyze the right the policies that are being uh proposed and there are people that disagree right they disagree and they say well it's not it's not really a human it's an embryo it's not even a fetus at that point and that's why you're getting into the the different stages of development and that's why I want people to to explain to me why they believe the things they believe and and uh and where their uh restrictions are are and why they want the restrictions at certain gestational periods. I want this is what this is what the Dobbs decision now allows us to do, right? Is to have this discussion right. and hear what people are saying. I want to hear what people have to say about the topic because for so long people could just say, oh, I'm pro-life and that's it. Because look, the pro-life side of this argument has some pretty sticky questions to answer too, right? Like what what do you do if the um if you've got uh the the victim of uh, rape of incest, right? Uh, these are these are trickier questions for pro-lifers to have to answer for.
2: They are, but I I, w- I would uh, submit that, and it, obviously it's all opinion. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a, a woman who is impregnated either through rape or incest, the life growing inside
0: her. I had nothing to do with that. I agree with that, but you're telling somebody that they have to carry to term the baby of their rapist, and that is a very difficult thing to demand of somebody else. It is a that is a difficult I, I, thing I and to Yeah,
2: I can't argue that. That's
0: what I'm saying, like that is a very difficult argument to make. And I, I recognize and what, that.
2: You know, you've said many times on your show that if new and verifiable information becomes available, you're willing to re-examine your Mm argument in view of that new evidence. and You know, I think that's very reasonable also.
0: I'm a reasonable guy. I know. (laughs) (laughs) All right, hey, Greg, I appreciate it, sir. I got to run. Thank you for the call. Got an email to Pete at the com from Greg. Welcome back. He's been away, so I haven't got emails from him. But he's back now. He's back. He says, I, uh, he's catching up on some of the podcasts. He was listening to the debate from, uh, last Friday. He said, I still can't believe that umbilical cord rights obtained conversation from last week. Just wow. Also, it was great to hear Ted Bud's name pronounced in the proper way. Uh, thank you, Greg. Appreciate that. Um, do, do love your show, uh, and your kick butt sense of humor and mastery of sarcasm. I am fluent. Just a random comment. But isn't it odd that everybody gets excited if a microorganism is found on a meteor on Mars and it's immediately called proof of life, but a human microorganism in the womb of a human female is not weird. Yeah, it is one of those weird things. It's uh, it's tra- It's a trans life. It's trans life. It's, not, it's a life it doesn't identify. Uh, on the student loan question, Jan said, if there's anyone out there who does not think this is a cynical ploy to basically buy votes, they're too stupid to allow to vote. Um, I had... Let's see here. There was an, oh, yeah, a couple other emails here. Uh, states like California on that popular vote idea. States like California could allow vote harvesting, which they actually do now, where groups go out to inflate voter participation rates of a given party. This would negate majorities in other states. Um, to, to, to do this from Eddie, he says, Pete, uh, we could do away with this whole abortion debate if people would exercise some personal responsibility and restraint. Um all right, I'll go over Shit, let's see if Shannon is there. I got about a minute and a half. Shannon, what's going on? Are you there? Yes, sir. All right, you have about a minute. All right. All right.
1: Well, uh, that microorganism is a human. Every bit of DNA, every little part for each body is for each human body is built up in that DNA combination. Mm-hmm. Male and female. Mm-hmm. Let me do the science thing on it. Right? But I heard Officer Tatum. On another show, Officer Tatum, he, he said, "I can prove that when discussing a woman's rights, um, when discussing a woman's rights, that baby is an individual because some babies are male."
0: Well, that's why I asked the question: When do rights obtain? When do the rights attach to the human in utero? When does that happen? That's that's why I ask people who say they are pro-choice. That's why I ask that question because it focuses the debate over that very point. Because that's what is really being debated. Because if you say that the human life begins at conception, then that human life has rights. Because humans have rights. We have rights, and with these are these are you know in, we are endowed with these rights by our Creator. They are unalienable. The government doesn't get to take them away. So that's the that's the reason I ask the question. But Shannon, I appreciate the call. Thank you very much for making it. Um, by the way, there was also a story here at Red State by our friend Brad Slager. Uh, the New York Times they saw its complete workforce returning to work uh, in the uh, in their offices. Mostly, uh, the workers uh, were to be required to spend a minimum of three days on site. So they're making the New York Times people come back to work, right? And they're very upset about it. New York Times very upset about it. I'll tell you why in a second.
3: Six packs
0: of 99 cent butane lighter,
3: lucky strikes and a fifth of Patron. Ice down that igloo cooler, take a guess at all the doer. I can feel a good one coming on. over no chance of staying sober i can feel a good one coming on yeah we gonna roll all night we gonna get the feeling right we gonna keep this party rocking till the break of dawn yeah i can feel a good one coming on all
0: right so the new york times does this big coverage of the inflation rates when they came out and they were like, oh, inflation moderated less than anticipated. They were like minimizing the increase in inflation.
3: Three blondes in a rag top Mustang followed us down to the lake and didn't have to think about that too long. Skinny dipping in the bright moonlight situation could
0: What do these two stories have in common? Well, the New York Times telling us inflation isn't that bad. Don't worry about it. They don't want to go back to work, meanwhile. Why? Because inflation, they say it costs too much to commute. So they're they're fighting to be returned to their offices. Unbelievable. Just unbelievable. All right, have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday. Don't break anything while I'm gone. Yeah.